All right, good morning. Now, there you go. Hey, I wanted to remind you of two things before we get started. The first is that next weekend's Vision Workshop has child care available. So if you need child care but you th- didn't think you were able to come because you have no one to uh, help you, we've got child care. Just let us know soon by filling out that RSVP and we'll, let you, we'll be able to know how many kids you have and we'll be able to take care of that for you. Uh, also, I wanted to remind you of one very important day. This, this is one thing I love about San Angelo is how you come together and and focus on one day of the year and give. And Tuesday, May 3rd, is San Angelo Gifts. And uh, we really haven't talked a lot about that because it's kind of a part of the culture here. But if you're new uh, to this to the city, this is what we do every year right around this time. We get together and we, we give. Um, we have people who match donations. So we've got several of our ministries that are are asking you to help them out. We've got Concha Valley Turning Point, uh, Rust Street. Um, please help me out. Cura, yeah. And so those are three. We have more. Those are the main three, right? So we've got several that we support, and we would love it if you could help us out with that. So please take time on Tuesday, and uh, let's see how high we can make those numbers go so that we can do some, some more good things in this city. Uh, I wanted to begin by reading um, from Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking at Jesus in the wilderness today, uh, but from a different perspective through the the eyes of Luke and also Genesis chapter 3. So I wanted to begin by reading Luke chapter 4. It's the same account that we read last week. It's just a little bit different. So let's go ahead and read this together. Or not together. It's a very long text. So we'll just, how about I read it? You can follow along. Here we go. Uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to turn, uh, to become a loaf of bread. Uh, Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone that I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished Every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the the different perspectives of of your apostles, Lord, the people who have followed you, who, who spent time with you, who passed along that information, that knowledge, wisdom, those experiences to those people who would who would continue to copy and to share the story with us. Thank you for that. And also thank you for showing us such an example of how to resist the devil, how to resist temptation. Help us, Lord, today uh, to leave different than when we came, more resolute to, to declare in our, 
in our hearts and in our minds and our soul that you are enough. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm calling this series enough because I believe that at the root of temptation comes with this desire or this idea that God is not enough, that we don't have enough. But this feeling of scarcity or enough isn't just limited to humanity. And this is interesting because this feeling of not enough is everywhere. So I'll show you a video uh, and just to make sure that you can see just how this idea even spreads through the animal community. Okay, I saw that. That's just so funny because it's true, isn't it? We're fine until we see what the other guy has. And then not, things aren't so fine, especially if what they have is a little better than us. You know, in the animal kingdom even, it's, it's fine if, if the animal has enough or as long as they have just as much or something just as good as the other animal. And it's the same with us too, right? So the question I'm asking is, do you feel like you have enough? God wants us to know that he is enough for us. He's blessed us with so many things that we take for granted each and every day. But we still struggle. So I think it's important as we kind of begin this, this uh, second little lesson here uh, to make a distinction really quickly about um, maybe the concepts, between the concepts of temptation and testing. Because you notice in that video he says it really a, that, that was a test, you know, but, but there's some different things going on. Both of these words are sometimes interchangeable in Scripture, testing and temptation. Um, some of your translations may even have tempt uh, instead of test or test instead of tempt, where, where one has one, the other may have uh, a different word. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, some Bible versions, some, some translations have actually uh, translated the phrase lead us not into temptation into this and do not lead us into hard testing but keep us safe from the evil one. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, I think that, that maybe this phrase hard testing is used because if you see a lot of hard testing in the Old Testament, the people never really ended, it didn't end well. They usually would fail those tests so you know he's asking us God please don't don't test us too hard maybe um, Paul was talking about testing when he's talking to the Thessalonians he's trying to get them to listen to him kind of build a little respect you know because who's who's Paul to some of these people but Paul's kind of making his case and this is what Paul says to the Thessalonians chapter 2 for the appeal we make does not flow from error or impure motives neither do we try to trick people instead since God has tested us and found us fit to be entrusted with the good news, this is how we speak, not to win favor with people, but with God who tests our hearts. Now, in our culture, we know all about testing. You know, testing should reveal what you know, unless it's a Texas standardized test. Um, that was a joke, but it's true in some ways. We know about testing. We know the stress that some of our tests bring on us and our, and our kids. But tests are part of life, aren't they? They kind of reveal some of the things that you know. In case of our relationship with God, testing reveals how fully committed we are to God. In the case of Jesus' wilderness moment, these, these 40 long days, some have even called this, this time of Jesus the three tests of Christ. 
or the testing of Christ. When, when Jesus was tempted or tested or both, you know, we don't know really whether he was tempted or tested. But, but I think whenever it comes to how God interacts with his people, we can say very clearly that it is not through temptation. God does not tempt us. Listen to me, let me remind you what James says, chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If you want to see an interesting translation, read the message version of this. It's kind of funny, but it has a, paints an interesting picture. This was actually the text that I used for my very first sermon at age 15 years old. And I wished I could say it was because it was supernaturally gifted to me, but it wasn't. Because in my dad's King James Version, it says, lust leads to sin, sin leads to death. And I thought, oh, LSD, perfect. So I had this great moment about dealing with spiritual LSD, you know. It was the 80s. It was all over the place. Um, but what's funny is that the text has stayed with me, you know. It stayed with me because I believe that this is the process that we need to pay attention to. James was on to something here. When we give in to temptation, it starts this process that begins to lead us away from God. I mean, God is love. He is life. And when we choose ourselves and our desires above what he wants, then we aren't choosing life or love. We're choosing death. But the choice has always been there. Always. It was there for Jesus in the wilderness. In fact, this, the same choices Jesus faced were the exact same choices presented to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three in the garden so long ago now when adam and eve were created they were blessed with everything everything was created just for them everything was created for their pleasure everything they had access to the the entire garden of eden all of it they had dominion over the animals the cute fuzzy bunnies and the really dangerous ones they had access to, to anything they wanted. They could wander without limit. I mean, imagine the sights and the food and the fruit. Imagine the temperature. Ah, oh, that must have been nice. They had personal access even to God himself, who would, as was the thing he did, he would stroll with them in the cool of the day, right there beside him. They just had one rule. That's it. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. Everything else is yours. And since we all had to get dressed this morning, you know how that turned out. Didn't turn out well. A serpent came and was talking with Eve, telling her he didn't quite believe everything that God was saying about that one tree after all it's just one tree and it was offering something they didn't have they had everything but for some reason Adam and Eve didn't think that it was enough 
So, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. For those of you who think this is an Eve problem, Adam was right there with her, hiding in the background. Way to go, Adam. Good job. You know, from this very first failure, what we do is we, we see this pattern how temptation begins. You know, Eve's first observation had to do with food. Oftentimes, I think this is where temptation begins. It begins with this physical desire. You know, Eve wasn't lacking anything, but for some reason, she suddenly desired this. And I'm sure the realization took hold, uh, the rationalization took hold. You know, she's probably thinking, ah, it can't be that bad. I mean, it's, it's edible. It's food. And God doesn't want me to starve, does he? You know, physical desire doesn't just stop with food. You can rationalize physical desires all day, can't, can't you? I can God doesn't want me to go broke. Uh, God doesn't want me to be unhappy. God doesn't want me to be in a marriage that's lost its spark. He has something better for me. Of course God wants me to have enough. You know, Jesus could have thought the way that could have thought that way. You know, he was hungry, famished even, on the brink of death, some have said. And man, you know how big those rocks are in Israel? Some of those are big. Imagine what kind of loaf of bread that would make. Huge. I mean, God wouldn't want him to starve, to die before he even started his ministry. But man doesn't live by bread alone. Man doesn't live by physical desires alone, do we? The second temptation that, that he faced was, was something to do with the eyes. What she saw was pleasing to her. Now, not everything we see is pleasing to the eye. So if fruit looked ugly, is it something you'd really enjoy? This is actually called ugly fruit. You can actually buy it in some of these higher-end supermarkets, I think. Not everything is pleasing to our eyes, so we don't really have issues with those things. If this fruit were, were ugly, she probably wouldn't have given it a second look. Certain things aren't going to appeal to us because I don't like the way they look, I don't like the way they taste or smell, but some things our brains see and we quickly realize we don't have, so we begin to want now, I have, I've had a problem. My wife can attest to this. There's been one thing that I've really, really wanted, and I just don't think I'm ever going to be able to get it. The, I see the new Broncos, and I see them around, and, and in my mind, I have a visceral reaction. I want. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because this for me, it's something else for you, I'm, I'm sure. And, and if we let if we let it, what happens is our eyes begin to make the decisions for us. Our eyes begin to lead us. And then suddenly we become slaves to what we see, to our eyes. 
what we're drawn to. And then the rationalization begins. I may get a raise. (laughs) Oh, what a beautiful thing God has created. He'd want me to have that. He'd want me to enjoy that. Eyes are remarkable tools, but they can only see so much, so deep, so far ahead. And we know in our day and age, with all the things that are available to us, what you see isn't always what you get. But does it really matter? Because when we allow our eye to focus on something long enough, especially if it's not healthy, then our curiosity becomes adoration. And adoration, when allowed to bloom, becomes worship. And our eyes begin to focus on the things we long for with a worship about it. Our eyes focus on those things that we desperately think we now suddenly need to be fulfilled, to finally have enough. Now, when Jesus saw the kingdoms before him, whenever he, the evil one took him up and showed him all the kingdoms before him, laid out in such a way, I wonder how pleasing it was to Jesus' eye. And God created this world, you know. He, he probably even remembered the moment looking at it. Remember, God said, it's good. Imagine how beautiful it must have been. It probably would have been very easy easy for him to rationalize it away. God wants me to rule this beautiful creation. That's what I'm here for. The technology, the advancements, the pleasure. God made them all for me. Why do I have to do without? Why have I been here for 40 days? I could have it all. Maybe it's time. I've paid my dues. Oftentimes, the temptation of the eyes to worship things is merely reflecting how much we really worship ourselves. I mean, why do we gorge ourselves on those things that look so pleasing? Maybe it's because we want to ensure that we have enough. But it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only God him now the third temptation had to do with wisdom which on the surface doesn't seem like to be that bad of a thing bad of a desire who wouldn't want wisdom when solomon asked for wisdom above all else what did god do he gave him wisdom and he gave him everything else that he didn't ask for such an overwhelming act of generosity but for solomon it wasn't enough the overflowing storehouses weren't enough. The, the, the banks of gold wasn't enough. The respect from all the surrounding nations wasn't enough. A thousand wives wasn't even enough for him. But it's curious to know how wisdom could be a negative thing here. I believe in this particular instance, it had less to do with wisdom and more to do with, with Eve and Adam's desire to be equal to God. What did the serpent say? serpent said you will not certainly die for God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil I mean this is a master class in rationalization here 
The serpent is telling them, God doesn't want you to be dumb. God, God doesn't want you to just stay where you are. He wants you to grow. He wants you to learn, become wise. I mean, we hear this voice, and sometimes it sounds really convincing because those are true statements. But the serpent was also telling them what was unspoken, that God didn't want you to be on his level, which meant God is holding something back from you. Hmm, if God's holding something back, how much is he holding back? I deserve. The rationalization could continue. You know, I know God loves me. I know he wants me to be better. I know um, he wants me to have more of a voice. And, and yes, I'm, maybe he wants me to have more influence. And even though it may, may take a couple of shortcuts here and there, it's going to be okay because it's all for the good. God will forgive me. God wants me to have enough. I mean, the evil one may tell you a bit of truth, but he's not going to tell you all of it. When Jesus was brought to the corner of this temple, the evil one tells him to throw himself down because God's not going to let you know, his son die like that. He even quotes scripture to Jesus. Psalm 91 says, For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. It's actually Psalm 91, not Psalm 9. And this is true, isn't it? I mean, it, this is true. Uh, you know, how often has Scripture been used to rationalize something that wasn't right? Of course, to do something really drastic, to see if God really loves you, isn't trust. To do something like that for Jesus would have been for him to place himself as equal to God in the sight of all mankind. But to do that in such a way would have been beneficial to nobody but himself. Adam and Eve's desire to be wise was was really a desire to be equal to God. But what did Jesus do? He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He's not even going to go there. So with a deep trust in his Father's love for him, Jesus simply replies, it is said, do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. And I really think this is the process here. It begins with something personal, a hunger, and it moves to the eyes, and it moves to, to seeing, you know, more self-centeredly, seeing others maybe getting something better than we, than we do. And when we see that, we get angry, and we throw the cucumber back at them. We get angry because other people have more than we do. Or maybe you see something you have and you really want it, so you do everything you can to get it. Then the process happens. It moves us to believe that if we have more, 
then we can be self-sufficient. Why wouldn't God want me to be independent, self-sufficient, pull myself up by my bootstraps? Why wouldn't God want me to be in a place where I didn't need anybody? I could be the beneficial one. I could be the one who gives, the, the generous one. I don't need, I'm a good Christian. I don't need, but I'll help you guys who do need. Can you see the problem with that idea? When we get to that place where we feel like we're independent or self-sufficient, we don't need anyone else that that means we really don't need God either. Temptation leads us to believe that life is about independence and self-fulfillment, but to follow that road is to follow a road out of the garden to death. It is not a road to life. Adam and Eve were tempted by a serpent, but one could say the tree in the garden was a test to see how fully humanity loved God would they obey wilderness may have been a test for Jesus the evil one tempted him as well and and Jesus did what Adam and Eve could not do and that is he showed God that he could love him with all of his heart soul mind and strength why do you think God made that one of these these you know rallying cries to his people he's telling him trust me love me with all your heart soul mind and strength love me I'm all you need. For Jesus, God was enough. As the praise team comes up and as we're closing out, I wanted to, to encourage you to focus on how Jesus responded to each of these temptations. They're not just snippets of Scripture. There's, there's a backstory to each of these texts, and I hope that, that reading these drives you to learn more and to read and to figure out what that broader context really was. And let these words rest in your mouth and in your minds and in your hearts and, and allow God to show you that he's always been enough. And I, I'm just telling you, I know temptation is real and I know you've probably given into it and I know even right now you're regretting what you did in the last couple of days. But I'm telling you, you can overcome this with the power of the Holy Spirit you can overcome this because Jesus overcame. Let him do the work for you. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. If you need help with some ongoing temptations, we have men and women around the room. We would love to pray with you. So take this, this time as we stand just to let someone pray for you. You don't have to be specific to say, I'm really struggling. Can you just pray that, that I can make the right decision? Just let us do that for you. They'll be on the sides too, so you don't have to walk all the way down the front. Take this moment as we sing here in just a moment. Let's all stand together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be courageous right now and to admit those moments when we have failed. Lord, help us to be courageous right now and allow you to take control. Lord, we know that we have issues with our eyes, we have issues with our desires, and we have issues with thinking that we're better than we probably really are. Help us, Lord, to need you, and I pray that you would be enough for us. In Jesus' name, amen.